This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. You know, earlier in the service, I told them that you may have watched the media for a lifetime. Many of us are glued to the news and we have heard what everyone has to say. It's time for us to hear what God has to say. Amen. You know, I must say that what I'm about to say, I hope you have the courage to accept it. Pastor Tom always say, we may not see eye to eye on every issue, but we can walk arm in arm. One of my professors puts it another way. He says, you know, it's necessary for us to be able to embrace ideas and thoughts because the test of a first-rate mind is the ability to hold two conflicting opinions and still retain the capacity to function. So I wish to state, as Pastor Tom and Candy has made it clear, as a church, we blatantly oppose the scene of racism. We blatantly stand against injustice in any form. And may where God give us the strength and the courage, alongside with the partnership of the Holy Spirit, to be able to seek reconciliation, healing and restoration to all those that may have suffered injustice at one time or another. Somebody say hallelujah. So we're going to talk about several things today. The death of George Floyd is sad. Because no matter his past, he, like every other human being, is created in the image of God and his life matters. You know, I cannot but think that one of his last words were the words, I can't breathe. However, this was not the first time we had heard those words. In fact, a man by the name of Shapiro, Fred Shapiro, in the Yale Book of Quotations in 2014, said the words, I can't breathe, was one of the most popular quotations of the year 2020, 2014, because we heard those same words from the lips of another man that was killed named Eric Gardner. Those same words, I can't breathe. So I think as human beings, it calls for many questions in time like this. We need to be able to ask a question. When someone raises his voice to cry out for help, we must be willing to raise a simple question. And I've taken the liberty to title my message with that simple question. Can you breathe? I know we are social distancing, but I wanted to look at someone closest to you and eyeball them. And you can point at them as if they owe you some money and ask them, brother, can you breathe? Sister, can you breathe? As the church, we must be willing to be vulnerable and ask one another that simple question. Can you breathe? I know you drive in a nice car. I know you look good, you smell good, but behind the facade, can you breathe? For those watching online or for all those in the auditorium, we may not know what you're going through, but can you breathe? Today I'm gonna be taking my text from Luke chapter 10. Someone said humorously, when you look at Luke, you look like Luke. 
So I'm going to take my text from Luke 10. And in Luke 10, we have a popular story, which we all know as the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan. Somebody said the Good Samaritan. In fact, the Good Samaritan story is a very popular story, so much so that a dozen of hospitals in the United States is named as the Good Samaritan. In fact, if you Google a sermon on a Good Samaritan, your results will be 1.8 million search results on Google. So you can imagine my surprise when the Lord led me to this verse. But by the end of this message, you will understand why. I want us to read together. If you don't mind, let's stand for the reading of the word. Luke 10, 25 to 28. If you had Luke 10, 25 to 28, let's read together. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now I want to pause for a moment. I want to remind everyone under the sound of my voice that Jesus is coming soon. Are you prepared? In the middle of all that is going on, we cannot forget the blessed hope that one day we will all be raptured. So you should not be caught up with all that is happening, but your heart must be prepared for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Verse 26. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it, he answered. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28. But you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will leave. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I wanted to look at someone as you get seated in your seat. Neighbor, ask someone next to you, Are you my neighbor? You may be seated. Neighbor, are you my neighbor? To put it in context, we must understand that the expert in the law knew the law of Moses. And as a lawyer, he understood the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half blood because the Samaritans customarily did not have dealings with Jews. So Jesus knew what he was doing by ruffling a feather of cultural dispute. And this was not the first time we see the narrative of a Samaritan in the story of Christ. We also know that Jesus encountered a Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus was making a cultural statement, trying to draw the man's attention to the idea that those in your zip code are not necessarily always your neighbor. Jesus was trying to tell the man that they may not be your skin color. They may not be your tongue. They may not be your tribe. Many people think their neighbor 
are those that are a stone throw away from their home. And I may make bold to put it to you today that your neighbor may not be someone that looks like you. Can I be honest today? They may not look like you. That man, that woman, that boy, that girl is not your neighbor because they look like you or because they like you. You and I are called, brought into the love of Christ because we are confirming to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Somebody say hallelujah. So when we read this story, Jesus began to explain to the man and in response, in defining who a neighbor is, Jesus began to tell him a story. So in verse 30, we see his response. Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him, what? Half dead. In other words, he began to have breathing problems. Now, the title of this message is Deliberate. Because the story of George Floyd and Eric Gardner and also the man in the Samaritan story prompt us to consider not just an anthropological significance of breathing, but a theological significance of breath. And we begin to see the, the, the connection because when we read scriptures, we begin to understand that the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the breath of God. The Bible says in John chapter 20 verse 22 that Jesus breathed, breathed on the disciples the breath of God and the disciples received the Holy Spirit. And just as without breath life is impossible, without the Spirit, life in the Spirit is impossible. Somebody shout hallelujah. Isn't it quite interesting that when God formed man in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, the Bible says God formed man from the dust and it says that man, God breathed into man the bread of life and the Bible says man became a living soul. Now the thing about it in scriptures that many people get confused is that we think that when God breathed into man that the bread was meant for motion. But, but I know that the animals do not have the breath of God yet they can move. So the breath of God in Adam was not meant for motion but for emotion and also to finalize, to cap it off that the image of God and the image of God in Christ is in man and God breathed into man so that man can have the spirit of God in him. Hallelujah. And I find very interesting when I look at the scriptures that God made for Adam a woman, a helpmeet from the very bone that man uses to breed. And that's why it's easy for a man to look at a woman out of love and say, baby, you take my bread away. You know, I believe there is a significance of bread 
even in scriptures. That's why Job says in Job 33 verse 4, the spirit of God has made me the breath of God almighty gives me life. That's why the psalmist cries in Psalm 150 verse 6, let everything that has breath praise God. There is something about breath. That's why the enemy wants to take your bread. So I'm here to ask everyone under the sound of my voice this morning, can you breathe? Don't you find it interesting that in 2020, just we're, we're just getting into half of the year and the major issues that we have had this year has to do with breathing problems. From COVID-19 to a man that cried out, I can not breathe. Like the man in the story that we just read, the Good Samaritan story. There are many in our society that are lying by the wayside and have breathing problems. There are many around us that are struggling to breathe. And as the church, we must be ready. We must be open to ask our brother, are you okay? Can you breathe? As the church, we must make people feel okay to say, I am not okay. As the body of Christ, we are messengers of hope. The church has never been a place. It has always been the people of God. So we must set an example. Somebody say an example. We must be able to speak to the marginalized in our society and say that if you are not okay, let us know. Can you breathe? After being marginalized, after being attacked and wounded, can you breathe? After you have been discriminated against at work, because maybe of because of your skin or gender and maybe you had the same qualifications as others that were promoted but you were passed by can you breathe after being overused after being overruled after being overlooked can you breathe we must be willing we must be ready and we must be comfortable to be vulnerable enough to reach out to someone next to us, to reach out to someone in our family, to reach out to our neighbor and ask them a simple question. Can you breathe? Look at someone next to you and ask them, can you breathe? As the church, we must be willing to speak the truth. Can I be honest today? For far too long, the church has been a hotel when it's supposed to be a hospital. The church is not meant for you to be comfortable, but it's meant for, to bring healing to those that come into the church. That's why the Bible, the Word of God, is referred to as the sword of the Spirit. Because it cuts, dividing asunder the joints and the marrow, the body and soul. So when you come to church, it should be a surgical experience. One thing we cannot forget about breathing is that biology tells us 
that a human being breathes in oxygen and takes out what? Carbon dioxide. It means that as the body, we breathe in the good stuff, but we take out the bad stuff. Or rather, we should take out the bad stuff. So as much as the church is breathing in the good stuff, we must be able to speak against the bad stuff. I agree that there has to be reconciliation. But before a restoration, there has to be healing. And the thing about healing is that healing cannot come without understanding first the hurt. Because Jesus is our healer. But before he became our healer, he was wounded for our transgressions. The thing about it is that you cannot fully understand my position without you first being in my place. You know, a lot of times we want to put people in their place when we have never been in their shoes. I have learned that you may never be able to fix someone's problem if you don't feel their problems. You don't know what the brother next to you or the sister next to you is feeling. You know, my grandmother always tell me a proverb, always told me a proverb, that he who wears the shoe knows where it, it hurts. You are not in my shoes. You are not in the shoes of someone that has been hurt. You have never lost a loved one, so you don't know how I feel. That's why you need to ask a brother or a sister, can you breathe? You need to be able to enter and feel their pain. As you will see later on in the story, this good Samaritan placed the wounded man on his own donkey. I want us to read further. In Luke chapter 10, we begin to see that the good Samaritan, the story of the good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 31. The Bible says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed on the other side. You know, when I read the story, it's, it, it might seem funny, that the priest that was supposed to be an example to society saw the wounded man and decided, you know what? I'm going to go on my way. And the thing about it is that there may be several reasons. Let us give him the benefit of a doubt for a few moments because there may be a reason why he failed to stop to help the wounded man. Maybe he was late for church. Maybe he was late for life group. Maybe he had a Zoom call to attend. Maybe he was simply afraid. And he felt, maybe if I go help this man, I may be hurt in the process. You know, many a times, most people don't speak out against injustice because they are afraid. They don't want to be caught in the crossfire. I remember, you know, a few years ago, I told the story in the first service that, you know, I... My wife and I were about to enter a train in Europe and we climbed on the platform. And right there we saw a man walk up to another man. And as he walked up to this other man, this man had a ring on his nose. And this other man walked up to this man standing on the platform and grabbed the ring on his nose and ripped it off. And blood splattered everywhere. And as a black boy, you could expect what my reaction would be. I ran to the opposite direction. 
because I did not want to be caught in a crossfire. What do you do when bullets are flying around? Honestly, can I be honest? I was apprehensive. But God expects us not to be silent when injustice is being done. God expects us to speak. <laughs> to be fair to the priest, it's possible that the priest realized that if he had gone to the wounded man, he may have been breaking the law. Because you must understand that the priest was one of the descendants of Aaron. And given his high status in the Jewish culture, the law was that if a priest comes within six feet of a dead body, he would defile himself. So it would require a lengthy purification process. So the priest did not want to mess up his holiness. A lot of times could it be that we may have allowed our title to strip us of our mantle? Could it be that we have allowed our status to make us a statue? Could it be we may have allowed our timidity to steal our testimony? I felt that the priest, even though he was afraid or maybe he didn't want to come within six feet within a dead body, he may have called out on the other side to this wounded brother on the road and say, brother, can you breathe? And we must be willing to raise our voice and make a call to a brother next to us, to a sister next to us, to a man, to a woman, to a boy, to a girl, and call out to them and say, hey, are you okay? That is the mandate of God. Now, if you read on further in Luke chapter 10, down to verse 32, you begin to see another man. The Bible says, so too a Levite. Somebody say a Levite. When he had come to the place, he saw him, saw the wounded man, and passed by on the other side. You know, a priest is also a Levite, but a Levite may not be a priest. So the Levite may have probably been connected to the priest in some form. Maybe he was the priest's assistant. And it's possible the priest had given a bad example so the Levite was simply doing what he would think the priest would have done in that case. In proximity, religion, and ethnicity, both of these men would have been presumed and considered to be the neighbor of this wounded man. Because in the context of the scripture, Jesus was speaking to the Jews and Jesus in the story may have referred to the wounded man as a Jew. So the priest and the Levite would have been considered to be the neighbor of this man for all intents and purposes. But in verse 33, we see another man. The Bible says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he had seen him or saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The good Samaritan ignored racism. He was not like the Jews. But still, 
He took action and cared and had compassion for the wounded man. Even though he was considered despised by the Jews, he rose above such shallowness. Child of God, you and I, no matter my skin color or no matter yours, we are all created equal. Somebody say amen. No one race, white, black, yellow, or red, is superior to another. Because at the end of the day, we all belong to one race, and that is the human race. Somebody say hallelujah. The civil rights activist Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, on the parable of the Good Samaritan, I imagine that the first question that the priest and the Levites asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of this concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question and asked, if I do not help this man, what will happen to him? The Bible goes further to say in verse 35 of Luke 10, the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for every extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law quickly replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Can you turn to someone far off and say, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The Bible time and time again emphasizes the need for justice. In Isaiah chapter 58 verse 6 to 8, the Bible says, Is it not the kind of fasting I have chosen to lose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, you clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. The thing about life, the thing about the human race is that no matter your skin color, we all bleed the same blood. And no matter the color of your skin, when you die, that skin would rot in the ground. So you and I are brothers in the Lord. You and I are same before God. As a church, we take it upon ourselves to feed the hungry. That's why in the last weeks, we have given out food at CLC time and time again every Wednesday because we want to be God's messengers of hope. Somebody say hallelujah. We want to be God's hands and feet because we are one in the body of Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for we all are baptized by one spirit. Somebody say one spirit. So as to form one body. Somebody say one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles. Somebody put in there whether white or black. Whether brown or yellow. Whether slave or free. Whether boss or secretary. Whether high or low. We all are one in Christ. Somebody say amen. God hates discrimination. God hates it. 
Even when discrimination occurred in scriptures, the first time discrimination was mentioned in scriptures, Aaron and Miriam opposed Moses because he married an Ethiopian woman. What did God do? God punished the, the racist. God punished them because in God's eyes, it is sin. Now, because of time, I want us to pull out a few lessons from the story of the Good Samaritan. Lesson number one. There are, we have those around us. There are many around us that need healing and building up. They may be smiling, but not everyone that smiles is okay. They may have a good, nice suit on, but not everyone that is well-dressed is okay. We must be willing to ask them, even though they are smiling, are you okay? And not just to get a casual response, I'm fine but to probe a little bit further, can you breathe? God calls us to ask a question to those around us truly from a heart of purity and from a heart of love. Are you okay? There are many amongst us that are not okay. There are many that are filled with depression. There are many that have PTSD. There are many that have trauma. There are many that have been abused sexually and otherwise. There are many that are going through issues in their lives. We must be able to build them up. Every week we pray that prayer. We are church, messengers of hope, a people that always build up and never tear down. God has called us to build up. Somebody say hallelujah. Number two. We are called as messengers of hope. Somebody say messengers of hope. Now, the very statement, the very phrase rather, messengers of hope tells us we are not just messengers of the world. We are messengers of hope. Now, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. So no matter what you're sharing on your page, on Facebook or on the platforms, you must realize that we share one thing, which is the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Somebody say hallelujah. We are called as messengers of hope. Another point we must remember is that we have been equipped to be Jesus' hands and feet. The hands and feet of Jesus are not hands and feet of violence. We don't fight like the world. I'm not against protest, but I'm for nonviolent protest. As the church, we must be able to set an example of peace. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, he himself is what? Our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier and divided the dividing wall of what? Hostility. So what can we do in times like this? We are not called to do as the world does. We are called to do as Jesus would do. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Because they are mighty true God to the pulling down of strongholds. There are many things we can do as the body of Christ and I'll mention three of them and we end this message. Number one, we must pray. Somebody say we must pray. When we're going through pain, either pain that is done to us or pain that is done to someone else or pain that is done to society, we must process pain in prayer. Just like Jesus. 
If we try to process our pain in the context of the world and in the context of culture, we would have more pain and it will lead to greater pain. We must process pain like Jesus did when Jesus was about to go to the crucifixion. And the Bible says, being in agony, being in agony, he prayed until his sweat became as drop of blood. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, 36, Jesus prayed in pain. So you and I are called to pray. We are called to what? We are called to pray. We must pray because prayer brings clarity, prayer brings calm, and prayer brings Christ into every situation. Somebody say amen. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, the Bible says this. Since we have a high priest, somebody say we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus went through what we're going through. Jesus was in pain. Jesus was bitten by soldiers. Jesus was profiled. Jesus was captured. Jesus was stopped by the Roman police. And he was bitten. He was bruised. And he was killed. Yet, he knew what his response would be. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. So the Bible says we should approach with confidence the throne of grace so that we can obtain help in time of need. So in pain, process your pain first in prayer. Before you tell that man, before you tell that woman, before you tell that friend, pray to God. Who hears our prayer when we cry? Somebody say amen. Number two, we must equip. We must pray and we must equip. In Luke 10, 34, the Bible says the Samaritan equipped the wounded man. The Bible says he poured oil and wine. Time will fail me to explain the symbolism and the significance of oil and wine, but oil signifies the anointing in scriptures and wine because of the transformational and the fermentational process. Grapes have to go in order to become wine. Wine represents transformation. And the Samaritan put the wounded man on his donkey and poured oil and wine to disinfect the wound and to heal him. We must equip, we must give the tools as the church to those that need the tools when they are going through pain. And in doing that, we build others. Our mission as a church, as the body of Christ at CLC, is to build and equip others. We lead others through a life transformational process. That's why we use the word of God because the word of God is our tool. The Bible says in Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 to 17, all scripture is God breath and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and for training in righteousness so that a servant of God might be thoroughly equipped 
lacking nothing and equipped for every good work. So the word of God equips us. And as a church, we must equip. We must pray. We must equip. And we must act. Somebody say we must act. As the church, we cannot stay silent. As the church speaking, it's not just enough. We must pray. We must equip. And we must act. You know, the entire Samaritan story tells us that Jesus began to give a definition of the word neighbor. And we began to understand that I wanted to write this down because it's very important. If you don't get anything today, get this down. It is the act of mercy that makes a neighbor recognizable. How do you know who your neighbor is? How can I love my neighbor when I cannot define who my neighbor is? You can only love your neighbor by being a neighbor. The first lesson in compassion is to look beyond ourselves to each other. Pastor Tom declared 2020 to be a year of going beyond. And I want to challenge everyone here today to begin by going beyond yourself. I believe every pain has a purpose. And God gives every purpose a platform. Nothing happens by accident that God does not allow. But God has called you and I to love our neighbors. So who is my neighbor? I think without missing words and looking at the circumstances in our world today, the very definition of globalization has become clear to all. Because if someone sneezes in Wuhan, someone in Washington catches a cold. If someone coughs in China, someone in Chicago catches a flu. We know that even in hurricane seasons, that the hurricanes that come off the coast of Florida are formed off the coast of Africa. So by the very nature of globalization and the way they say the world has become a village, a small, a small village today, is that your neighbor is anyone you look through with the eyes of mercy. So in going beyond in the year 2020, we must remember the lessons that the Samaritan has shown us about the process of compassion. And what is the process of compassion? Number one, the Samaritan sees the victim. Two, he draws close to the victim. Three, he begins to allow his heart to be moved with compassion. And four, he acts. When around us, have we taken a bold step to act in compassion to those around us? As the people of God, we are called to be catalysts. We are called to be initiators. We are called to advance kingdom agenda. So as the people of God, we must act. Somebody say we must act. But our actions cannot be determined by the world. Our actions must be determined by the word. Our actions cannot be determined by culture. Our actions has to be determined by Christ. We must work. We must act. 
And part of what we can do that is tangible as a church, as the people of God, we must seek justice reforms. We must seek criminal reforms. We must seek prison reforms. We must seek justice. The Bible says in Jeremiah, I'm going to read that verse in a moment. Jeremiah 22 verse 3. The Bible says, this is what the Lord says. Do what is right. Somebody said, do what is right. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor. One who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. God calls us to justice. God calls us to facilitate justice. We are God's hands and feet. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Somebody say for good works. God has prepared you and I to do works of justice. To do good works. Like the good Samaritan, Jesus told the lawyer, go and do likewise. So when last did you show compassion to others? When last did we reach out to a brother or a sister and ask them, are you doing okay? Can you breathe? Maybe you are unable to show compassion because you yourself need the compassion. You might be going through a difficult season right now. We want to know whether you are okay. We want to know whether you can breathe. Share your stories with us. We want to walk a journey of healing and restoration with you. Maybe you are annoyed and angered by what is going on around our society. Maybe you have been a victim yourself. The Bible says be angry but sin not. We want to walk that journey with you. So please uh, reach out to us. Reach out to any of our pastors or staff and let us know if you're doing okay. Can you breathe? We want to know that you are okay. I want to challenge you. Be vulnerable enough to allow a brother or a sister Step into your comfort space and share life with you. For those that may have suffered setbacks, I want to challenge you. You have, may have been discriminated against. But I believe no matter where you're from, no matter your culture, God has placed within you a gift that nobody has the same make like you. There is no one like you. I always say where the two of us are exactly alike, then one of us is irrelevant. God has placed within you a gift that nobody has. So you have to discover your difference. You have to develop your difference. And you have to display your difference. I remember the words of a man called Dr. Howard Thurman. He said, there is a crown above your head that you have to grow tall enough to wear. God has placed within you a resource that your world needs. So we must be willing to reach out and expand and stretch. 
so that we can rise against nepotism, so that we can rise again against xenophobia, so that we can rise against discrimination, so that we can rise against anything that might be unjust against us. Even though we might be struggling to breed, we can stretch to utilize the gift God has placed between you and me. So I haven't challenged you today that we must be willing to reach out to a brother or a sister and find out whether they are doing okay. I believe when I titled this message, Can You Breathe? That the question, can you breathe, is a horizontal introspection or a horizontal prospection of whether a brother or a sister is doing okay but it's not enough. Because even though we can ask a brother or a sister, are you doing okay? There are many societal ills that we do not have the power to solve. So while we are addressing horizontally the question, can you breathe? We must be willing to look at the Lord in a vertical way and reach out to God. Lord, breathe on me. Because we need to love our neighbors, but also we need to love the Lord. Because through the enablement of the Spirit, we have the ability to address the issues the world faces. That's why the Holy Ghost came. Remember, I began with talking about the theological significance of the breath of God. While we are checking whether someone is breathing well, we need the breath of God to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. It is the Lord's will for us to reach out to our neighbors. But it is it's the Lord's will for us to make it our prayer to God. Lord, can you breathe on me? If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.